Thanks, guys. Morning, everyone. Morning, all. I'm surprised how many people there are here, to be honest. Um, I told you I was preaching, and you're still here, so even, even my wife left. My wife is not here today. Um, she's up in Durham, so uh, well done, good and faithful people. I'm going to be talking about praise and worship, but before I do, I want to say a huge thank you to the band. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you, team. That was just outstanding. A couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with Ben, and he said, look, we might not have a full band, so we could scale it back. We could do some acoustic stuff. I said, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really nice. And then he came to me a week later and said, oh, don't worry. We've got, we've got the full band. Everyone's here. We can... And I said, no, no, no. I want to do acoustic. He went, are you sure? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, please. Can we do acoustic? He went, are you sure? And he went even higher. And I said, yeah, 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 please. And then I was here on Thursday, and, uh, and he said, Tom, um, just to let you know, doing acoustic is about five times harder than doing a big set. And I said, what are you talking about, man? Everything's scaled back. He went, yeah, that's the problem. Everything's scaled back. We have to rebuild it. So, band, thank you very much. Come on, let's give it up for the band. This morning, I'm talking about praise and worship. Um, and I want to talk about three things, three aspects, three outcomes of praise and worship. I'm not, I'm not going to be talking about why we praise and worship, because I can cover that really quickly. We praise and we worship because he is God, and we are not. He's worthy of our praise, and he's a good God. So that's that done. What I'm going to talk about are three outcomes, three things that happen when we praise and worship. And the reason that I want to do this is because even for Christians, I say even for Christians, praise and worship can be a little bit of an odd concept, okay? Standing here, dancing, singing, waving our hands to someone that we can't see, it can be a little bit of an odd con concept. And for people that don't know God the way that we know, it can be a really weird concept. So I, I'm not talking about why we praise, okay? I've covered that, but I do want to talk about three things that happen when we praise. First point that I want to talk about, and hopefully at the end of this we'll have a slightly better understanding of, of what happens with praise and worship. First thing I want to talk about is that praise shrinks mountains. Praise will shrink your mountains. We serve a big, big God. The Bible says that he knows every single hair on your head, which is quite impressive for some of us. The Bible says that he sits outside. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm not looking at anyone. Come on, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. It's going to get better. It says that he sits outside of time and space. Just imagine that for a concept, just for a moment. The concept of time, he sits outside of that space. The known universe sits in the palm of his hand. And yet, despite how big our God is, occasionally when problems come up, when issues come up that we're struggling with, we can forget how big our God is and we start to see this problem. We start to see this issue. And over time, we start to see that other people have the same issue. You know that red car effect or the yellow car effect? You buy a red car and suddenly you see red cars everywhere. Well, the, problem, the difficulty with problems is you start to have this problem. You start to have financial difficulties. And you start to notice there are a lot of other people that struggle financially, but none of them struggle like you do. None of them have the same issue as you do. And I don't want to belittle it, but sometimes we get to the point where we focus on this mountain, this small mountain here, and we look at it. And perhaps it could be divorce in your situation. Perhaps it could be a family breakup. Perhaps it could be something that focuses your mind so much that as you come towards it and you see everything else, you get to the point where you can see nothing, nothing at all, except your mountain. This is your mountain. It gets to the stage where your mountain, your mountain is everything that you can see. How easy do you think it is for me to see my notes right now? How easy do you think it is for me to see my Bible right now? How easy do you think it is for me to see my big God? 
The problem with mountains, however, God, that stuff's sticky. However, <laughs> however difficult your mountain is, however big your mountain is, if that's what you're focusing on, God will become invisible. And it becomes really, really difficult because as we bring these situations forward, you focus on something and all you can see is that issue. The converse is true when we praise our God. The opposite is true. When you bring God praise, when you bring him worship, it says in Psalm 70 verse 4, it says, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, my God. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. To enlarge our praise of God is to enlarge our God in the midst of our situation. When God is at the forefront of our minds, when his praise is the only thing that we're saying, that's when our problems get put in perspective and we realize just how small this mountain is. He's always been bigger than your issue. He has, his promise was always sure. His deliverance was never uncertain. But our focus can project a false reality for us. To be honest, this is actually the only way that I got through the grief of my mum dying. Um, many of you will know my situation. And for those of you that don't, two years ago in March, my mum passed away from cancer. Um, she died four days after my daughter was born, and she died eight weeks after us finding out that she had cancer. Now, the form of cancer that she had, and, and the reason I want to bring this up is because ha have you ever had that situation you go, why me? Why, why me? I've done nothing wrong. Okay, so my mum had a form of cancer called cholangiocarcinoma. And if you look at the guidelines for this form of cancer, it attacks elderly men who are unfit. My mum was 54. Obviously, she was female, and she was incredibly fit and healthy. Just half a year earlier, she'd cycled around the whole of Cuba in two weeks. Okay, so she was incredibly fit, incredibly healthy. The doctors said that she had had this cancer. This form of cancer remains completely undetected. It wraps itself around the bile duct, which is, which is vitally necessary. You can't change it. And so I found myself in this situation where my grief was here. And it was all that I could focus on. And I had nothing else. I was exhausted. I was, I was shattered. I was absolutely distraught from the fact that I'd lost one of my best friends. And on the Saturday, my mum died in the very early hours of Saturday morning. We went and said goodbye to her. And then I said, Beck, we need to go. We've got to go because I was desperate to get back for church on Sunday. All I wanted was to be here. All I wanted. And I had nothing. And I drove home bawling my eyes out. And I could barely see. We were blessed to get home, I'm telling you. Because I could not see. And we got home. And my grief was still here. And I had nothing. And I remember, and this I want to give you as a key, when you are stuck face to face with your mountain, you have to start with your immediate. And so I stood there in my kitchen. I thought, I'm going to church tomorrow and I've got nothing. And I knew the set that we were singing and every single song in the set was talking about the death, death being defeated, the grave being robbed. And I knew, I knew that set because we get sent it beforehand. And I knew that if I went to church with nothing there, backing me up, I would say, how dare you sing that the grave has been defeated and my mum died the day before. So what I did is I stood there in my kitchen with my grief here and I said, God, I thank you that I have a wife. I thank you that I have children. I thank you, and you're going to laugh, I thank you that I have a microwave that works. I thank you that I have a dishwasher. I thank you that I have running water. And I started to stretch my praise. I started to enlarge my praise because I needed space between my grief and my situation. And then I said, God, I thank you that I have a car. I thank you that my car allowed me to get to my mum. 
I thank you that my car's going to get me to church tomorrow. I thank you that when I get to church, there are people there that know you. And I started to get space and separation and distance between my grief, which was here. I had to pull back my vision from the things that I could see. I, could, I only had the immediate and I had to pull it back. Throughout the, the rest of that year, whenever we gave an offering, whenever we had a chance, that happened in the March. Any time we had the opportunity to give, I would turn to Becky and I'd say, we need to give because God has been good to us this year. It didn't matter. My God and his goodness was bigger than my grief. My God and his love was bigger than my pain and my hurt. And I want to tell you today, my God is bigger than your situation. My God is bigger than your mountain. And if you praise him, I'm telling you now, he will enlarge himself in your situation. And you'll put your mountain in perspective. So point number one, praise will shrink the mountain. Point number two, praise will fill the blanks. Have you ever had a situation where something's been really important to you? A situation or you, you know, teenagers, you guys probably don't remember this, but I wasn't a teenager all, a teenager all that long ago. And you text someone and you really like them. And you send them a message. And obviously you send them through WhatsApp because that way you can see whether they've read it. And you hit send and you see one tick. You see two, two gray ticks, you know it's been delivered, and then there's nothing. And you think, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to be patient, I'm going to put my phone down, and you go and make a cup of tea. And you boil the kettle, which takes about two hours, because obviously you're desperate for a response. You pour the tea bag, you stamp the tea bag, and you run back to your phone, and it's taken about five minutes, and you look at it, and there are blue, two blue ticks, but there's no reply. And you're thinking, well, something's wrong with WhatsApp, because this is, this is important, they've made... They've, Where's the help desk? And then you press on the message and you find the info and you see that it was read a minute after you sent it and they've had the cheek not to reply for four minutes. Anyone been there or is that just me? Okay. So occasionally, I want to say to you, occasionally, that can be our situation. And let me tell you this, praise will always precede your breakthrough. Praise will always precede your breakthrough. But occasionally... Your breakthrough does not come through immediately after your praise. And it doesn't come through immediately after your prayer as well. I want to talk, um, and, and it's in the middle of those situations that it's most important to keep praising God, to keep worshipping. That's when it counts the most. I want to talk very quickly. I'm not going to cover the whole book, but I want to, I want to talk very quickly about the life of Daniel in the Bible. This is an amazing account of favor from God, an incredible man, um, but it's also a really good reflection of the power of prayer and the power of praise. So just a bit of backstory. The Israelites are in captivity. They're in Babylon. And they're serving a guy called King Nebuchadnezzar. And basically, they're brought in as the slaves. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he was a bit of an egotistical maniac. Um, he, um, he basically wanted all of his slaves to be really good looking. He wanted them young. He wanted them healthy. He, wanted them he didn't want kind of scruffy looking slaves around his camp. He wanted the best of the best of the best. So when he took the Israelites... He picked them out, and he picked out the people, and, and, and Daniel, I'm going to call him, them his merry men, but Daniel and, their, and his merry men, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were pulled out as being some of the best lookers, tallest people, people like Daywin, people like Barry Whittle, these, these, these kind of hunk, hunk, hunky guys, okay? So they were pulled out, Rob Elborn, you're in there as well, my friend. Um, and so he pulled these guys out. And they basically got put, like, this was like Arsene Wenger back in the late 90s. He basically put them 
on an eating regime. No, 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 it's a good thing, man. He revolutionized football. Eddie, don't come with me, man. He put them on a food regime. He put them on fitness plans. They literally had the whole lot. And Daniel and his merry men said, well, you know what? Actually, the stuff you eat, that doesn't comply with us. We're not happy with that. And it wasn't an act of defiance against King Nebuchadnezzar, but as an act of worship to their God, they said, we want to stick with what we're eating. We want to stick with our, with our fast. We want to stick with our plan. And the guy said, well, if you do that and you come out worse, then we're going to have to kill you. And he said, that's cool. I'll take that bet. Challenge accepted. Let's in two weeks have a recap. And they were fitter, they were stronger, they were healthier. So that's chapter one. In chapter two, Daniel hears that the king is going to be killing all of the soothsayers, all the wise men of the day, unless they can tell him two things. One, what his vision was, because he had a dream. And two, what it meant. Back then, these, these guys were basically crafty monkeys. What they'd say is, tell me what you dreamt, tell me what your vision was, and I'll tell you what it means. And they'd just make something up. King Nebuchadnezzar, for all his faults, was actually wise to that and said, no, you have to tell me what my dream was and you have to tell me what it meant. And all these guys went, can't be done, not possible. Daniel steps up to the plate and went, let me pray. I'll be back in a minute. Give me, give me, give me a minute. He goes and he prays and God gives him a vision. Now bear in mind, all of these people were going to be killed if they got it wrong. Daniel starts praying. He gets his vision and he immediately starts praising God before he's been given the royal pardon, before the, before the nooses come off around his neck, before he sees his breakthrough in the physical, he starts to praise his God for the message that he's received. And he goes through, and King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of it, falls on his face, worships a God, and spares the people. Chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar's done a bit of a U-turn. Like I said, he was a bit of a nutter. And after his amazing revelation, he builds this 90-foot idol, 90-foot idol right in the middle of the street, and basically says, no one's allowed to do any, any worship except for this idol. Daniel and his merry men say, no thanks. Cue the raging furnace. I'm sure you all know the story. They get sent in. This fire was so hot that the Bible says the people that were taking the guys in died before they'd even reached there. Daniel and his men walked in to the flames, stood there. King Nebuchadnezzar sees into the fire and they're praising in the fire. They're praising in the midst of their problem, in the midst of their turmoil. They're praising God. And King Nebuchadnezzar calls in and says, come out, all of you. And he says, I saw a fourth man. When you're praising in your furnace, when you're praising in your fire, God is there alongside you. He's not abandoned you. I want to say this morning, not only is God there with you, but when people see you going through things and they see that you're smiling, they see you're, you're lifting up God, they will start to see God in your situation as well as you will. Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face again and then goes off the rails again. He ends up dying. Chapter 6, King Darius comes along. He unfortunately allows his ego to get in the way of things and he gets tricked by some of these cheeky monkeys. Gets put, and what he does is he basically puts a 30-day embargo on praise. Okay, so, he, so he basically says, the guys, the, these, these wise men, they don't like the fact that Daniel has now been promoted to number two in the kingdom. He was basically running the show for all intents and purposes. These wise men, they didn't like it. They were jealous and they said, look, King Darius, you're a top bloke. No one should get worship. No one should get praise except you for the next 30 days. Daniel and his merry men say, uh-uh, that ain't gonna fly. But they're not stupid. And they don't defy the law in public. They go to their room and they praise in secret. They praise in private. When, they, when everything around them is going on, when everything around them is saying, no, keep your mouth closed, when everything around them is saying, don't speak to your God, when everything around them is saying, I don't want to hear your praise, he goes to his secret place. He goes to his room and he starts to praise. Now these guys, they were looking for it and they pulled him out, they dragged him for the king. And in Persian times back then, the rule was no law could be broken, even if it was made by the king. The king couldn't break his own law. Cue the lion's den. Daniel gets thrown in. They'd starved these lions so they were super hungry. 
They throw him in, they roll the door. King Darius was actually pretty upset about this and he spent a whole night tossing and turning. He didn't sleep. Next morning he runs down there and in the midst of, of the lions there trying to kill him, trying to eat him, Daniel's just sleeping with the pussycats. He's resting. And I want to say to you this morning, regardless of what your situation is, regardless of what you feel you might have been brought into by circumstances outside of your control, you can walk through it with your head held high. If you praise God, you can walk through it. As you bring your worship, as you bring your praise, even when you don't feel like it, even when it hurts, even when you've got the lions at your face, your God will bring you through if you praise Him, if you allow Him space. These guys, they open up the lion's den, they get thrown in. And then chapter 10, this is where I'm getting to on point number two, where praise can fill the blanks. Chapter 10, Daniel is praying for an interpretation of his dream, of of the king's dream. Now, bear in mind, this is the thing I said back in chapter one, back in chapter two. This is what Daniel was known for. This is what his reputation was built on. 10 chapters later and two kings later, Daniel is there and the guy says, right, I need an interpretation of my dream. And Daniel says, that's cool. Yep, I can do this. I've done it before and I can do it again. God's done it before. He can do it again. And he prays and he gets nothing. And he prays and he gets nothing. And he's fasting and he's praying and he's worshiping for three weeks before finally an angel turns up and says, here's the interpretation of the dream. Here's what it is. Here's what it means. How easy do you think it would have been in that time for that three-week period for Daniel to go, you know what? I've messed up one too many times. This is it. I've done something stupid. We don't necessarily see all the good stuff and all the bad stuff that Daniel's done, but I'm pretty sure he would have messed up. He was a human. In your situation, how often is it that we start to think, God's left me? How often is it that we think, you know what, I, made, I, I was rude one too many times and that's it. Now my prayers are going unanswered. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm packing up. How often is it that when we get that blank and we've texted that person, we go, that's it. They hate me. This is it. I'm done. I might as well throw my phone away now, burn the sim, get a new one because I'm never, they're never going to speak to me again three weeks and it says that Daniel was fasting he was praying and he was praising and then in verse 12 and 14 this angel comes up in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 it says cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you one translation says cast your burdens throw your burdens at the foot of the cross that's what the Bible says this is what we typically do So we metaphorically come to church and we say, this is it, I've had it. This is my problem. I'm done. God, thank you. Jesus, here is my issue. I lay it at the cross and I'm not picking it up anymore. I'm going to walk away, God. It's there. Jesus, my issue, in your timing, I give it to you. God, well, if you're just going to stand there, I might as well pick it up because one of us has to keep our finger on the pulse. How often is that our situation where we feel where we feel it's our job to keep our finger on the pulse, where we feel it's our job? Can I tell you this? We are not designed to carry burdens any further than the foot of the cross. We are not designed to carry burdens any further than the foot of the cross. And when we drop it and when we leave it, Trust me when I say the best thing we can do is leave it. Now, if you go into your prayer time, you go, that's it, I'm leaving it, and you come out and you're still carrying it, you've just had a gripe. If you come out and you go, I'm done, this is it, there's a line in the sand. And when someone talks about that issue again, you go, it's fine, it's dealt with. I've left it and my God's bigger. That's when you know that the praise of your mouth will fill the blank. 
And the final point that I want to bring is point number three. Praise builds an altar. Your praise will build an altar. Humanity has been designed to worship. Just takes a quick look on social media and you'll see how great we are at building things up just to tear them down again. We've all heard of trial by Twitter. Ben did a fantastic preach about social media last week and the way that we present things. Well, you'll see, um, often you'll see this, and you can check out the stats on this actually. It's quite interesting that someone fairly unheard of will go on morning breakfast news, BBC news, something like that, and then overnight their Twitter feed will be erupting and the number of followers they will have has shot up through the roof. Anyone seen that? Anyone experienced that here? I know some people have where they do something on social media and suddenly they're a... They're a they're an iconic poster. They're a prolific poster and people, people go after them. Because society is looking for something that's going to last. They're looking for something to praise. We're looking for something to worship. We're looking for something. Something that's got meaning. Something that can, that can hold our attention. I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you're focusing on? What is it that you're giving your attention to? What we give our focus and our headspace to, we will ultimately start to worship. Because we've been designed for worship. We've been designed to worship. And ultimately, if you start to give your focus and your attention to your mountain, you'll start to worship your mountain. It's just what happens. Psalm 30 verse 1 says, as you praise him and lift him up, he lifts you up. He will take you out of where you are and he will make you stable and secure. Can I say it like this? When you praise an unshakable God, he will make you unshakable. When you praise something that can shake, you will shake. If you're looking for something to worship this morning, can I say the beauty of building an altar before Jesus is that he's unshakable, he's eternal, he's everlasting, he loves you, he's here to give you a hope and peace and a future, he's here to make you stable. That's what he wants. In the first and second point I made, we looked at examples where people were faced, where I was faced, where others were faced with seemingly impossible situations, where I felt I had nowhere left to turn. And perhaps that's your, that's, perhaps that's your example today as well. And I had no choice but to turn to an extraordinary God. Perhaps you're far from God and the whole concept of praise and worship that I've been talking about today seems really alien. Hopefully, I've answered some of your questions today. Hopefully, I've been able to give some clarity, not on why we worship, but on, on the outcome of worship. What happens Some of the reasons why these people, despite their pain, despite their tears, despite their hurt, are still pressing in, still pushing into worship. Perhaps you're sat here and you're thinking, well, you know what? I can see why you need God because your life's a mess. Perhaps you're sat there and you're thinking, yeah, no, I can see that that makes sense for you, but you know what? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay where I am. Can I ask you this? What is it that you're worshiping? What is it that you're giving your focus and your attention to? Perhaps you've got really great stability in your job. Maybe you've got really great stability in your finances. Maybe your marriage is great, really fantastic, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Perhaps you're worshipping things that you think are giving you wholeness and clarity and stability. But I can tell you, if it's not Jesus, then it's not. And ultimately, the Bible says that everything that can shake will shake. When you praise an unshakable God, he makes you unshakable. I want to ask you this morning, do you know this Jesus that I've been talking about? Do you have space in your life for praise that means the gap between the mountain you're facing and your personal situation can get given buffer and perspective? God sent Jesus to take the place of all the things that I'm saying are shakable. 
the fact is, if it's shakable in the context of an eternity, ultimately it's meaningless. There's something, there's someone that came and his name was Jesus. And he came to give you meaning and hope and a future. And I want to ask you today, as personally as I can in this corporate setting, do you know this Jesus? Do you understand him the way that I do? And if you do know him, and perhaps you've allowed space to grow between you and him, I want to invite you back. I want to say, please come back, allow space in your life for praise, make room for praise. The Bible says that you've left your first love, you have abandoned your first love, come back. The Bible says he's waiting with open arms, he's waiting and he wants to receive you today. Right across this room in a minute, I'm gonna ask that we bow our heads and that we close our eyes and that we have a moment of peace. And in that time, I'm gonna ask some friends of mine at the back where the lights are a little dim to help me see if you respond. And I want you to respond in a, in, a, in a personal way, but I want you to respond in a bold way. And that's when I ask, when I count to three, I would love it if you could put your hand up if you want me to pray. I would love to pray with you. Because when we pray and when we give praise to our God, He fills that void. We build an altar before Him and our mountains get put in perspective. And ultimately, our life gets put in perspective. I've been talking about three outcomes of worship, but you know what? The most incredible outcome of worship and praise to our God is that our life gets put in Him. Our life gets hidden in Him. And it's the greatest decision that any man, any woman, any child can make to praise a God who is unshakable, to give glory to a King who loves you. So right across this room now, please, if you could join me in in closing your eyes bowing your heads across this place I want to ask you do you know Jesus would you call him your friend your saviour would you call him king if that's not your situation today I would love it if you could pray with me in one minute perhaps you do know God but you're far from him perhaps you're not spending time praising him perhaps When situations do come up, the first thing you do is worry and fear rather than praise. I want to ask you this morning, do you want to come back? So I'm going to do this first and I'm going to say, listen, if you don't know Jesus, I would love to pray with you. So right across this room when I count to three, please raise your hand up. One, don't miss this opportunity. Two, this is going to be the best decision you've made. Three, If you don't know God this morning, I would love to pray with you. Don't miss this opportunity. And perhaps it's your situation today where you do know God, but you feel that you're far from Him. Maybe you feel that you've turned one step too far and you feel in your heart like God isn't listening to you anymore. Perhaps you feel in your heart like God doesn't care or you feel in your heart that you've gone so far now, you've done so many things, you've thought so many thoughts, you've said so many words that you are now beyond the scope of God's love. I wanna tell you this morning, that is not true. I wanna tell you this morning, His love is eternal and His thoughts towards you are good and you have gotta come home. So right now across this room, one, two, three, if that's you, I would love for you. Thank you, I see that hand. I would love it if, if anyone here feels that's your situation, we would love to pray. 
people are responding this morning. Thank you, God. I see that hand, thank you. I see that hand, thank you. I'm gonna pray now and I would love it if you could respond with me. Say it just loud enough so that you niggle the ears of the person next to you. Father God, I thank you that you love me unconditionally. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Father God, I turn from the way I live and I choose to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise.